be to the Gospel according to Matthew. We will be in chapter 1 today. We'll survey a bit of chapter 1. And then our focus will be in verse 23 this morning. That, that song that I sang is a reality. And the reality is there is true and lasting hope only in Christ. And everything in this world fades away. Everything of this life will fade away one day. And Christ is the only lasting and eternal truth. In the reading of our corresponding scripture for today, it was read from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. That was our corresponding scripture. And in those two verses, there was a reminder of the strength that we have and the song that we can sing in Christ alone. So reading that chapter 12, verse 1 of Isaiah, that verse again says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength, my song, and he has become my salvation. Now you'll notice in that verse, in verse 2, there is a word there called behold. And you'll also notice in today's verse, in chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel 23, there is this look, behold. And we'll talk about this looking, beholding, and what we are to look upon. So we can firmly say today, as followers of Jesus, we can say that the reason that God's anger has been turned away from the redeemed is strictly and only through the work and person of Christ. To say that the wrath of God has been satisfied, we can say that it is in Christ alone. So look, behold, God is my salvation. The Lord Himself is my salvation. Only in Him will I trust. I will not be frightened. I will not be afraid. I will not be scared. Whatever life throws at me. So we have hope. Let me ask you this. In reference to today's sermon on, on hope in Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. The questions will come from Romans chapter 8, verse 35. And so this is rhetorically asked, this rhetorical question. Well-known verse, I hope that you know this verse, Romans chapter 8. Paul's writing to the churches at Rome, the Roman Christians. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can? Nothing. No one. No one can separate you from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? Absolutely not. Shall, shall persecution, being shipwrecked, being stoned, being beaten with rods? No. Shall famine or starvation? No. Shall nakedness or danger or even sword? Shall that separate us from the love of God? Will that separate us from the love of Christ? No. Why? Why is it? 
because he is with us. Being the title of today's sermon, The Hope of Emmanuel, God is with us. Now, today we celebrate the first day of Advent. At least we at Piney Grove are celebrating the first day of Advent for us here. The celebration of the Lord Jesus entering into the world. I love this time of year because it helps us to reflect on a theological and biblical topic. Sometimes it gets negated or put under the radar. And that as God himself robed himself, put on flesh and dwelt among us. So we celebrate that today. We celebrate the first day of Advent of our Lord Christ coming into the world. And with the coming of Christ, there is the expectancy of, of hope. There is love. There is joy. There is peace that surrounds his long-awaited arrival. That, that humanity itself, history, longed for the arrival of, of the Messiah. The arrival of Christ. He that would take the wrong in the world and make it right. And just as the world anticipated the arrival of Christ in the first advent, now me and you, followers of Christ, we anticipate, we expect, we long for His second coming as well. I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready anytime the Lord Jesus will call His people home. But until then... We are reminded that God has never left us and has never forsaken us. And we as Christ's people, we are awaiting with hopefulness. We are longing for it, the return of our King. How many woke up this morning and said, maybe Jesus will come today. Maybe the King will return today. So we have the candle of hope that is lit and that will be our theme for the month of December hope love joy peace as we anticipate as we anticipate our Lord's return and then reflect upon his first his first coming we reflect on this hope the only way that we can the only real way that we can reflect on hope today is to lean in and lean upon the risen Christ that is an everlasting hope that we have in Jesus our Lord. See, Christ is the only hope in life and death. The song that I sang earlier, the only hope that we have in this life and beyond, in death itself. But I want to read just one verse today. And I want to navigate through this one verse and in other places in God's, as in God's Word. So, in the book of Acts, we are at a halfway point. We have read big selections and chunks of narrative, so rich and so theologically robust and so telling uh, of the early church and so good of an example for us today as followers of Christ. We, we, want to, we want to follow the example of Jesus through the early church and beyond. But I want to read one verse today, and really that will kind of be our theme through the month of December, reading some smaller, uh, smaller verses that are huge with theological uh, intent and biblical intent. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, let's stand together as we read one verse of Scripture today from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, packed with meaning, packed with encouragement, and packed with hope. 
So let's read this together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. In God's Word it says, Behold, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Lord, we ask you that as we work through this verse today, that our heart and minds would be captivated by the love of our Lord Jesus, that the weight of his first coming as he came into this world as a servant, Father, in, in humility, Father, that that will bear heavy on our heart and mind. And then to know that the God of this universe, the God and Lord over the cosmos, stepped into human history so that he can dwell among us and be close and near to his people. We give you praise for that today. And Father, if there is one here today who is far from you, God, I pray that you would draw that one close to yourself. And maybe they don't know you in saving grace. I pray that you would save them by your holy and sovereign grace. And I pray it now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. And you may be seated. So as you already know, the topic of our sermon today is that of hope and the hope of Emmanuel. We're going to talk about Emmanuel. We're going to talk about the incarnation for just a moment this morning, if you will bear with me as we work through Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, hope in Christ, more specifically. And if you were to go home right now, or maybe you have a concordance Bible with you, maybe on your phone, you know, I'll, I'll allow you to, to get on, uh, on a, a Bible a software on your phone, whatever. You know, if you're going to look at the Bible on your phone, whatever, that's between you and the Lord. But if you were to take a customary word search of the word hope, and you were to type that in to maybe a Bible software, or you were to go home and, and look at it in a concordance to find how many times the word of hope is, is, is reused, is used over again in the Old and New Testament, you will find that in the English Standard Version, which is the Bible that I read from, from the pulpit, you will find that hope is listed, it reoccurs 144 times in the ESV. Now, if you were to do a search in the King James Version of the Bible, you would find it mentioned 121 times. Let's say you want to look at the International Standard Version, you would find it 143 times in that Bible. Let's just say you wanted to venture a little bit towards the American Standard Bible, you would find in that Bible there is 129 times that the word hope is used in the Old and New Testament. Therefore, that tells me that hope is a consistent and vibrant theme in God's Word. But there is something more about this word hope. Both in the Old Covenant and New Covenant, or the New and Old Testament, Hope finds its meaning in the Greek and in the Hebrew as a coming trust and expectancy of something. Hope in both the old and new is expecting something to come to pass, get this, without a doubt. It's very different than the way we use it in the English. Today we might say, well, I hope I win the lottery. Well, good luck with that. Because there is a chance, a monumental chance that you will not. See, in the way that we use the word hope in our English language is there is a sliver of doubt in there. A sliver of doubt. The way that we find this word used in the Old and in the New Testament, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, is expecting something to come to pass 
without a doubt. In fact, hope and faith are used interchangeably in our Bibles. Hope in this context, in the word faith, is used interchangeably. In fact, the word denotes an excitement as well for something that is, is coming. There's an excitement attached to this hope as well. So it is hope without a doubt, and it is hope that is expecting something great to happen. It carries excitement. And in this particular context, the excitement is in the promises of the Lord that are coming to pass. That God is going to bring about His promises. God is going to bring about His, what He has prescribed in Scripture. There's about six, seven hundred different promises in God's, God's Word. And you know what? Every single one of them, every single one of them, find its footing in Jesus. Everyone. Even the ones that we don't want to take part of, which is ultimate judgment of all the wicked. I don't want to take part in those promises, do you? But there's an expectancy, an excitement that is coming. You know, I, I remember as a child, laying in my bed on Christmas Eve, and I had already given my Christmas lifts to Santa Claus. And already I give my list to Santa and I was expecting to find those toys that I asked for under the Christmas tree. And I was excited. I could hardly sleep. And every time I would hear a bump, I would open my eyes. I didn't want to get up because I didn't want to, I didn't want to see Santa Claus and then lose my toys. You know, that was, the, that was the myth, the mythos there. I remember this overwhelming anticipation of what was under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. And I remember asking my father, I remember asking my dad, I said, well, you know, Daddy, we don't have a chimney. How does Santa Claus get in our house? And he said, well, we leave a window open for him. I said, well, if Santa ain't, looking back, if Santa isn't careful, he's going to get a breaking and entering charge if he's, not, if he's not careful. But I remember this anticipation, this expectancy of, of something to come, and I could hardly sleep. And there's been times in my life when I've had this high expectancy and so excited. And I, and I know that there are many others in here when you think about something that is coming up and you get, you get excited about it. Man, how I wish that we can bottle that, that expectancy when we talk about the promises of God found in Scripture. I wish that we can bottle that hope when we talk about the coming of our Lord Jesus again. When Christ returns. I wish we could bottle that when we, when we think about the promises laid out in Scripture. I wish we could harbor that type of hope and expectancy when we look into the things found in His Word. In Matthew chapter 1, 23, we find this type of expectancy. We find this type of hope. In fact, I would say this expectancy and this hope, it motivates us. It motivates us to look upon the beauty of Christ. It moves us to look upon the beauty of all that Jesus has done. From the promises in, in history past, to the lineage that is fulfilled through Christ, through the line of David, the Christ in the manger, and then the cross and the grave. I want you to notice this first portion of the verse. In verse 23 that I've read, chapter 1, I've got this highlighted because I want to focus on this word for just a few moments. 
this expectancy and this hope invites us and motivates us to look upon or to behold the beauty of Christ. Again, behold, the virgin shall conceive by her son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just a few verses up, just right above that, the promise of Jesus coming into the world. Jesus meaning, Jesus' name means simply deliverer. It is a meaning from Yeshua or Joshua in the Old Testament, which means deliverance or deliverer. And really what Jesus' name means is that God will save his people from their sins. But this Emmanuel is a title given to Messiah, that he will be God with us. And so Matthew uses this rendering from Isaiah 7, and he says, Behold, okay, Matthew, what are we looking for? As readers today, as worshipers today, what are we looking for? What are we to behold of this virgin, and what are we to hold of this son whose name means God with us. What are we looking for? First things first, the evangelist Matthew begins with the lineage of Jesus. We'll read it at the beginning of Matthew, and we feel as if we get bogged down with all the names that are listed there. And sometimes we even gloss over those names, but they are there with a meaning. That's what Matthew wants you to look at. Behold, this is the line of David that brings forth Christ from the line of David, he works his way through Abraham and spans through biblical history. Something that we saw Stephen do in chapter 8 of Acts, and then we saw Paul rehearse as well. Last week we saw Paul rehearse in the book of Acts. He works through Abraham, down through Mary, the mother of our Lord, and spans over 14 generations from King David through the Babylonian captivity, and then to Jesus, another 14 generations is is mentioned, is mentioned. All of this to highlight that God Almighty has not forgotten His promises to His people. Behold, look, He has not forgotten you. It might seem like there have been 400 years in the intertestamental period where God has seemed to be silent, but He has not been silent. He has not forgotten. Look, behold, the birth of our Lord Jesus as a reminder of God's promises and then calls the reader, the worshiper, to behold, to look upon the work of God. See, Matthew is almost begging his readers to look, behold, upon Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. That almost reads this verbatim except for the word therefore. Anytime you use a therefore in Scripture, it is giving you the end of some type of argument. Therefore, the conclusion can be made that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and you call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So here's your sign. Spanning all of biblical history through the perfect virgin birth of our Lord Jesus, God has shown up and God has stepped into human history. It blows my mind the amount of people today who would say, I would believe in God if he showed more evidence of his existence. And you cannot get any more evidence of God's existence than the person and work of Jesus. 
Here is the Son of God, rubbing Himself in flesh, living a perfect life, stepping into human history, fulfilling all the words of the prophet, going to the cross and rising again, shaping the disciples' life. They turned their life upside down. Why? Because they seen a risen Lord. There is no scholar today, atheist or follower of Christ, who would deny the existence of Jesus Christ. It is only the novice, it is only the ignorant who would... Who would Say that Jesus never existed. And if Jesus, Jesus existed, he is either Lord, lunatic, or liar. God has shown up in human history. He has stepped into human history through the person and work of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. And this is what theologians and students of the Bible will call the Incarnation. That God became flesh in John 1.14. And what did he do? He tabernacled. He dwelt among us. See, as we read the gospel accounts and all through the letters, humanity and life itself in Israel and the known world, even today, can be bleak and without hope. I talked to many people yesterday. Many people yesterday... And let me tell you this, this world is looking for hope. They are looking for a glimmer of hope. And not only do we have a glimmer of hope, we have a preeminent and primary answer to that hope. And it is our duty in some way to share that hope, the hope of Christ with those around us. See, Matthew reminds the reader, he reminds the worshiper that there is hope in Israel. There is hope abroad. Now look upon him, behold him, investigate him, and see this grand hope of salvation. In the world today, we need this realized hope, a reminder of this. And it is our duty, I believe, as followers of Christ to shine upon hopeless situations, to shine the beauty. Christ upon a lost and dying world and say, yeah, there is hope in this broken world. We live in this really, what I call really weird time of human history, where we live on the total rescue of Jesus coming and dying on the cross and rising again, and this place where we look for the restoration of all things, when we are looking for our Lord's return. We live in this really weird era of history, where we are anticipating Christ's return, but until Christ returns, we are to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. Lewis Smedes writes this. He says, is there a hope when hope is taken away? Yeah. Is there a hope when situations is hopeless? Of course. That question leads to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion. Hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. A passion for the promise. Now, concerning the virgin birth, how else would one expect the living God to be born of flesh and dwell among us? How else would you expect? How, how else would you expect God the Son to robe himself in flesh. How would you expect the very nature of God Almighty demands an extraordinary birth? 
And it is certainly seen in the fact that Jesus Christ was born without sin and lived a sinless life. And it points back to this extraordinary fact that Jesus was born into this world by virgin birth. This is an impossibility, it really, in the world that we live in without human interaction and outside interaction. Let the natural course of things take its course. Let the natural law of things take its course the way that God designed human beings Today, a virgin birth is an impossibility. And as you may have guessed, there have been opponents to the concept of the virgin birth of our Lord, mostly from people who are theologically maybe illiterate, maybe haters of God, or even people who call themselves Christians who cannot believe that God would act in a supernatural way. We have another word. For that branch of theologians, they are liberal in their theology. And they believe that God does not act in any supernatural way. Listen, if God did not act in any supernatural way, in fact, bringing Christ into the world the way that He did, God in flesh, how in the world would we ever look at the resurrection as being a supernatural event? If you take away the supernatural elements of Christ's birth and the resurrection, you take that away, we are left but just an ordinary man. And so, a couple of years ago, a publication called The Evangelical Focus issued an article, and they issued this article in 20, 2000 and 2020. And the title of this article caught my eye as I was reading through. And the title of the article was like this. It said, 30% of U.S. evangelicals do not believe that Jesus is God. 30%. In the same article it said, according to a preliminary release on the findings of the 2020 State of Theology, it surveyed this, that 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but He is not God. 52% of Americans, and I would imagine in that 52% is lumped Christ followers or who label themselves as Christians. Thus, denying the incarnation and the virgin birth of our Lord. Remember a few weeks ago when I said, here are the top 10 things that a follower of Jesus must believe in, a Christian must believe in. Listen, the incarnation is up there. That God is in flesh through the person of Jesus. Denying the incarnation and the virgin birth. Stephen Nichols of Ligonier Ministry had this to say in this same article entitled, 30% of you United States evangelicals do not believe that Jesus is God. Stephen Nichols had this to say. He said, as the culture around us increasingly abandons its moral compass, professing evangelicals are sadly drifting away from God's absolute standard in Scripture. So Jesus, born in this world, as God in flesh is, let me say it, an absolute standard in Scripture. It is a non-negotiable. To drift away from this truth is not to drift away from absolutes. It is not drifting away. It is slamming straight into heresy. It ain't drifting. It's crashing headlong. Without the virgin birth, without Christ rubbing himself 
in flesh, there goes hope. The words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, we are people who are, our religion is vain, we are miserable people. There goes hope. Without God in flesh, we would be left with an ordinary man. An ordinary man cannot atone for the sin of sinful humanity. See, hope is found in the incarnation of our, our Lord Jesus. So Matthew is beckoning the reader to look. Behold, look upon this marvelous work of the Lord. Because there is hope after all, and his name is Jesus. And he is who will save his people from their sins. The world still needs to hear this. Not only do they still need to hear this, they need to see this in action. Stephen Nichols goes on to say that this is time for Christians to study Scripture diligently. To engage our culture confidently with people in our culture. And to witness the hope in Christ. And to witness it fearlessly. And then to witness fearlessly the identity and saving work of Jesus in the gospel. So not only do we have the expectancy and hope shining a light on the beauty of Christ and who Christ is, but we also, in that hope that we have, we know that God is with us. We have hope. Why? Because God is with us. Now, the last portion of that verse as it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I've got it highlighted for you and I this morning. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew is giving interpretation of the name here. He's telling you that in the Hebrew this would simply mean God with us. This is a huge concept, one that we cannot miss, one we must understand in our theology of God. Now, theologians would say that this is what we call theology proper. This is a study of God. More directly, this is what you call Christology, a study of who Christ is. So we must understand this concept in our study of God and our study of Jesus. This is who God is. Contrary to what other systems in the world and religious systems might believe about God being so transcendent that we cannot reach Him. They have a, a view of God that they consider so high that they would say that humanity can't reach God. God has to reach down to us. And He has, in that sense, God Himself has actually thanked the Lord, praise God, he has actually condescended down to us. He has come down to our level. Because we can't understand him any other way unless he comes down to us. Reading your Bible is God talking down, not demeaning, but talking down. John Calvin would say this is babbling like a baby, baby talk for God Almighty. Talking down to our level so we can understand what he has for us. We also have God coming down in the way and through Jesus. When he came down as a place of a servant, emptying himself of any high kingship on this earth, if you will, as he walked this earth, humbling himself to that of a servant. Now, he didn't give up his deity. He just simply come down to the level of a servant. So yeah, God came down to us. Meaning that God is totally transcendent and that He created everything. But He is separate from His creation. He is not in the rocks. 
He is not in the trees. He is not in the dirt. He is not in the air. He is not in the stars. He is above his creation. He created it and he is supreme above it. He is Lord over his creation. Amen? And as he is transcendent and totally other than his creation, at the same time, he is imminent and he is close to us through the person of Jesus. So we would say that he is other than, he is above, he is transcendent, and at the same time, he is imminent and he is close through the person and work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find any other religious system on this earth no system of philosophy, no system of ethics that can ever compare to God dwelling with his people. So the message of the incarnation of Jesus is, is that he is now with us. And he has come to tabernacle or to dwell with his people. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Friends, if you cannot find hope in that, I don't know if there is hope for you. We have this hope because Christ came, was born, he was born to die for sinful humanity. And we have hope because he has taken our place where we should have died in our sins. Why do you think the Lord was born into this world anyways? Our Lord was born into this world for the purpose of dying sinful humanity. He's not just a beautiful baby in the manger that we look upon on Christmas Day. He's not the baby in the manger. He is a risen king. Christ has, was born into this world to take our place where we should have died in our sins. If I mention to you the name of John Summerfield Staples, Many of you probably would have never have heard of that name. John Summerfield Staples. You probably have never heard that name before. But if, ever, if I was to say the name Abraham Lincoln, everybody in here knows who Abraham Lincoln was in history. Mark Lederbach in his publication called Chasing Infinity gives a record of John Staples and Abraham Lincoln in their exchange, historic, this historic exchange. During the Civil War in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln called for an additional 300,000 men to help win and put an end to the Civil War. So there was a law in effect in the United States at that time that if you were standing upright and if you were able to fight, you either had to join the military when called upon to join, or you can choose one or two other options. You can pay a fee of $300 or pay a substitute to take your place. And while Abraham Lincoln was obviously already, he was serving as commander-in-chief of the Union Army, he wanted to set a good example and build morale amongst the troops for service so he determined to hire a substitute to serve in his place. And so, in the fall of 1864, one of Lincoln's representatives approached a young man by the name of John Summerfield Staples. And he was asked if he would be a volunteer to substitute for President Lincoln 
And to which Staples replied, he said, If my father consents. Let's you know how young that he was. But for 11 months, Staples stood in the place of Abraham Lincoln, willing to die in his place should the need and duty present itself. 11 months this man fought on the battlefield for President Abraham Lincoln to stand in his place. And so in a much more profound and mind-blowing way, when Jesus laid his life on the cross, when he died on the cross, here's a perfect God-man born into this world as God-man. And through his passive obedience, actually and literally took the place of sinners and substituted his life for theirs. God was willing to step in to human history and to die instead of us. Galatians 3 verse 13 tells us that in order to save us from our sins, Jesus himself redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He that knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. See, Jesus didn't come to this earth and be born in a lowly manger for the fun of it. Nor did he come to be born in a manger because God was bored in heaven. No, Jesus was born in order to die as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, before the earth was ever formed, before it was ever squared off, before any drop of water ever fell upon the earth, before any land ever was erected, before the earth was even shaped. It was forecasted that the lamb was to be slain. And so there is hope in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus, the one who is with us and with his people, not only today, not only yesterday, forever. So this is the message of hope from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that we so desperately need in this world that is crumbling around us, was coming unraveled. But let me say this, Emmanuel, God with us, he is still in control. He's still in control. Let's pray together.